Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. For a person attending National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic for the very first time, something that might startle you are the moms and dads and kiddos on the show floor. It, it's a surprise that when I went, you know, when I experienced my very first Pheasant Fest, it just popped my eyes open how many families came to our event. And that's a point of pride for all of the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever employees. We're thrilled to see the diversity of people, diversity of ages, um, walk in the show floor at Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. And that's the point of today's episode. I'll be chatting with two returning podcast guests as we focus on welcoming the entire family to National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic coming up at the Minneapolis Convention Center February 17th. 18th and 19th. My two guests today, you know them, you love them, you'll recognize their voices. Anna Swarzak, PF and QF's Habitat Education Program Manager, and our quarterback this year for both the Youth Village and the Pollinator Pathway at National Pheasant Fest in Quill Classic. And she's been on um, our Pollinator Week episodes the last couple of years running. And also joining this episode, he's the voice of the Flush podcast and the face of the Flush television show on Outdoor Channel, my very good friend, Travis Frank, um, who will also be a featured speaker on our Path to the Upland stage. So as I'm talking about you both and you're both staring at me, welcome, uh, Anna, welcome, Travis. How are you both doing today? Well, I am fantastic. I was waiting for Anna to go first there because ladies first, right? <clears throat> but uh, no, I, it, it's it's a pleasure to be on this episode with you, Bob. I could talk for hours and hours about hunting with you, and I always look forward to any reason to get together. So thank you for having me today. Thank you, and, and, and thanks to our, our new mom, Anna, congratulations. Yep. Tell us about uh, how your life has changed here recently. <laughs> Definitely a lot, a little bit uh, less sleep. And then um, I will say, though, maternity leave over a fall season does have its benefits. And sometimes it might be <laughs> hard to get out with the new little one. Um, but we, uh, we still made it happen and got to take him out on his first deer camp trip with us and we had an upland day weekend as well planned so and some dove hunting yet and waterfowl so we uh might be a little bit harder but it was a good pairing to have maternity leave over a nice nice fall season (laughs) (laughs) before we we hit record we are sort of you know this we're recording at the very end of january so for um the pheasant range hunting seasons are closing up um Quail season's going to go a little bit longer in some places. I'm curious. Um, and I, I, you live in Nebraska, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah. So um, what's the season been like for you in Nebraska? And you got, I know you've suffered through a pretty severe drought. 
um, your new mom. So you got a lot of things going on. Um, what's the season been like for you? Yeah, we um, were able to make it out a couple times. I'm fortunate enough to have some private land to go on, but the drought that we had definitely played a significant impact on numbers that we saw. Um, so the couple times we were able to get out, we saw birds, which was awesome. And uh, probably each should have went home with a pheasant and a quail and, you know, I don't really have too much to blame it on, but I came home empty handed and everybody else did too. But it was, uh, we were able to flush a couple of coveys, which was awesome. It's my favorite thing is those quail covey flushes. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, that part was a lot of fun, but the numbers were definitely down from what we typically see um, out in those areas that we go on. Yeah. What about you, Travis? I know you've, you've crisscrossed the country. Mm -hmm. Where'd you... Is your season over or do you got something still on the calendar for February? I'm trying to put something on the calendar because I'm going through withdrawals right now. It's been two weeks since I've carried a shotgun in the field and watched bird mm. rise out of the grass. And I just like, I miss it so bad. Um, I think it's over though. Um, I really do. I think it's done for the season. There's just a lot coming up over the next couple of weeks. We got pheasant fest, which obviously we're talking about today on this mm -hmm. show, but um yeah, I think, I think sadly I'm going to have to wait until next year, but what a year this was. You and I got to spend a few days in the field and Bob, those are just like par for the course. I mean, we spent time together in the grouse woods and one of, one of the best pheasant hunts I've had in Minnesota, just because of how the day went, um, maybe ever, you know, like that was, that was such an incredible day spent out there. Um, and lessons learned, but also, um, I think for me, the year was so great because I was able to hunt in a variety of places, which is not unusual for what we try to capture in the TV show. But, mm -hmm. um, my dog, just the light switch really turned on early this season and it just made for such an enjoyable hunting season from grouse to, pheasants to quail um it it just was a delight and everywhere i don't think i had a hunt that i left a field without birds this year and that even that's not always the was it a good or a bad hunt you know but just the fact that everywhere i went we found birds and sometimes a lot of birds that that was my experience this year too the forecasts I think underrepresented it, underrepresented mm -hmm. the number of birds on the landscape this year, um, particularly in our home state here in Minnesota. Um, it was it was far better than the roadside counts indicated, and I just had a glorious year. Mm -hmm. Had a super fun time. Um, you, you bring up your bird dog. I want to thank you for uh, making making your pup Daisy. And one of the brand new dog life members yeah. in the organization. Yeah, and, that's exciting. And also Scott Scott Franzen, um, yep. president and owner of Ron Share Productions, his pups, and all the pups on the um the special TV show hunt here this fall all became dog life members. So mm -hmm. um not only you guys, you know, bring forward our organization to the television audience with the highest standard of excellence in a conservation message, but you, 
you know, you walk the walk too, and you contribute back as, uh, as committed members of our organization. So sincerest thanks for, for making those investments in our habitat mission. Oh, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, you're very welcome. Um, we love it. This is, you know, if I have a day off, I'm going pheasant hunting or I'm going grouse <laughs> hunting, you know, I just, I love it. And Scott Franz in his exact same way. And, um, you know, that he and I were talking about the, the bird dog life membership this, uh, winter here, and I was getting ready to head out on a hunt. And I, and I mentioned that I wanted to get that for Daisy and he said, we'll do it on behalf of the flush. And uh, mm. so that the thanks goes to Scott for raising his hand and saying, we want to do that for, for her. And so I, I really was grateful for that. Um, but yeah, she's, she's got that very fancy bowl now that she gets to eat out of it in a plaque. And <laughs> uh, she doesn't know anything different about it other than I know that she's contributing to what we love so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll give, before we dive into the Pheasant Fest component of the episode, I'll give kind of, I had my final hunt of the year in Arizona, um, and it was wonderful. Um, I did fly there rather than drive 26 hours with my own dogs. I, I somewhat regret that, you know, 26 mm-hmm. hours is a two plus day drive. And I did that a year ago for the llama video that you could still find on quailforever.org. And it's wonderful to be able to chase pups in a new country with your own dogs. And I was, I felt a little disconnected walking around with other people's dogs, but, you know, it was like negative three here in Minnesota and it was <laughs> you know, 50 degrees for, well, at least part of it. We did get one snowstorm to start us off in Arizona. I saw but that. But I, I am... It was it was amazing. Like the first day, there's snow on the ground. There was enough for accumulation, um, and really legit snow squalls um, from like eight until eleven o'clock, and then you know it became fifty degrees the rest of the trip, and it was wonderful. But the, the one thing that sticks with me is, and you've been down to Southern Arizona, mm-hmm. Travis, and it's startlingly obvious to me how beautiful and i think you could say this is true about all upland birds they live in beautiful places Mern's quail live in some of the most obviously beautiful places on the planet like the these rolling canyons and in live oak and sort of short grass savannas it's just obviously stunning What's less obvious and more subtle is the desert. When you walk into the desert, you know, and it might just be a mile difference than the Merns country, but you're looking for gambles or scaled quail amongst the cactus and the mesquite. You know, when you're driving on the road, it's like, boy, that looks harsh and that looks <laughs> desolate. Right. But you get into the desert and you start walking behind a dog. It's subtly just as gorgeous as Mern's country. It's there's so much life in the desert. And, you know, we follow the snowstorm and it's amazing, like the instantaneous greening up of the desert and the blooms on cactuses 
and the you know the jackrabbits and the um the the different birds that are flying around all the different types of cactus and mesquite and stuff in the desert and you're just like wow i i underappreciated it until i got within it and that i think that speaks to the power of hunting that some people sort of write well they're just out there killing things carrying shotguns killing but when you get out into the landscape whether it's prairies or you know this um savannas of bob white quail range in the southeast or you know the mountain mountain quail country of the pacific northwest or even something is diametrically different within a mile apart of Mern's country and desert in, in arizona mm-hmm. it's just it, it's all so beautiful and you i just never would have experienced that if i didn't follow a bird dog around and i do you get that same a uh, uh, feeling about those landscapes travis Pretty much every one of them that I've ever been in, you could even be driving on a road through the desert and look out and say, gosh, there's not much there. The second you get off of the path, the road, the gravel, wherever it is that you park, you're in it. Now, all of a sudden, you start noticing these features. It might be a washout. It might be, uh, you know, just little subtle topography changes in it, but the plants change in it. Um, depending on you know which side of the little hill they're on or a stream bed that might be dry you get down inside of that i mean you're talking heavily in a country and i mean there's just mm-hmm. you know it is so cool to get mm-hmm. into these different places and i'm with you i i got a trip of a lifetime this year up in alaska our first hunt of the season and i didn't have my dogs or my dog wasn't there and i thought about well do i fly her up um, because last year I was down in Arizona, the same time you were actually, Bob, we're just on a different side of a mountain and not with llamas, but I didn't have my dog with them that <laughs> one. And there's something about it that it just a little piece of you isn't there. I've learned because I've done it enough now without having a dog that there's so much to take in. And sometimes I, I'm able to just really be present in the moment with other people because Mm -hmm. ultimately when I'm filming a TV show, I want to be telling their story. So Mm -hmm. I have plenty on my mind uh, to keep occupied in those moments. But when your dog is present there, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, Without Mm -hmm. it, it's still pretty cool though. (laughs) you (laughs) You can appreciate some of those amazing places down there and i will tell you when i saw that snow on your instagram photos i was like those guys are gonna they're gonna find a lot of birds because that moisture is a big difference when you have that on the ground i hunted in arizona probably like five years ago and we had a snowstorm come in and it was the most incredible hunt because there was the scenting conditions instantly were fantastic and we were able to find birds two weeks ago i was in kansas and we were hunting quail bob whites and it was so dry that you almost had to step on them, the dogs would go within a couple of feet of birds and not smell them. Uh, we would done. Mm. I would have done anything for some of that snow. That would have just <laughs> it just changes the hunt immensely. Yeah, yeah, it does. And Anna's shaking her head in affirmation the entire time. I mean, it, I'm I'm thinking like this sounds like a pollinator week episode as we kick it off because we were talking you know, just the web of life and all the, the, you know, all the life insects to 
bats, right? To um, songbirds, you know, we saw coyotes, and fox, and pronghorn, and mule deer all in the uplands. They all live there. And it doesn't, I mean, it's, it, it goes back to as many of the conversations we've had, doesn't it, Anna? Yeah, I'm just sitting here listening. I mean, I have never, I've never been to Arizona. Um, and so just hearing you guys describe this different landscape and my mind, of course, goes to pollinators as well, too. And to mm -hmm. have things still blooming while you're out upland hunting, um, that has to be such a different experience. And just with what you're looking at on like and trying to think on where these birds are going to be at, um, completely different mindset on where they could be versus here in Nebraska, you're looking at thickets and this wintering cover on where they could be kind of hit up. But there, I would imagine, I mean, it's a completely different thought process on where you go and think you're going to find them. All right, let's, let's uh, change the conversation to our focus here. National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic for the whole family. And, you know, there's a lot going on this year. It's the 40th anniversary of Pheasants Forever. It's a culmination of our Call of the Uplands campaign. And it's, I, I did the research last night. I was like, how many, how many Pheasant Fests are, have there been? It's, you know, we had the COVID year and early on we were doing it every other year. I knew it wasn't an anniversary year, but it's, it's the 18th one. Um, so for people... Keep it score at home. I'm going to run through this real quickly. Um, so the very first one was 2003, and it was in Bloomington, Minnesota. I started working at Pheasants Forever six days before the very first one. So I've got my punch card, and I've been to all 18. Wow, so I'm pretty you. proud of that fact. That's pretty cool. Um, so early on, we did it every other year, not every year. So 03, it was in Bloomington. 05, it was in Omaha. 07, it was in Des Moines. And then at that point, it was like the organization had conversations like, this is so successful, so cool. We got to start doing it every year. And we, 08 was in St. Paul, 09, Madison, Wisconsin, 2010, back to Des Moines, 11, Omaha. Went to Kansas City for the first time in 2012, back to Minneapolis in 13, Milwaukee for the first time in 14, back to Des Moines in 15, back to Kansas City in 16, back to Minneapolis in 17, and for the first time we were in Sioux Falls in 2018. 2019, we first time event in Schaumburg, Illinois, so the greater Chicago area back to Minneapolis in 20 and then COVID hit and we had a gap year in 21. We are back on the rails last year in Omaha. And here we are on the precipice of 2023's event in Minneapolis. I'm not going to tease you. Uh, or I am going to tease you. I'm, I can't give away where we're going to be next year, but we'll announce that on Sunday at Pheasant Fest. Um, but it will be next year. Um, we've got, we kind of like the Super Bowl. We have to book out like four years ahead of time. So we have pretty, we're locked in for two and we know two more after that, or pretty good idea of two after that. So all that said, there's been 18 Pheasant Fests. Um, Anna, how, how many Pheasant Fests have you been to? There's been this, a bunch now. 
Yep. Um, this will be number eight. That's quite a few. Yes. That's quite a few. So what, what stands out to you? What's your one quintessential favorite Pheasant Fest quail classic memory? I have two. So if you want to think about the things that I had up, which is pollinators and youth village, um, my favorite memory was a couple years ago. We had the decoy carvings. We'll get into more of this later. So I'm kind of teasing them a little bit. Uh, but just coming in and watching the families um, do these activities together. And there was like this little girl and her dad and they're carving and painting and making an absolute mess, but having a blast. Um, so I just, I love people watching and kind of seeing those little bonding moments um, that families mm -hmm. can have at Pheasant Fest. Um, besides that, outside of that, I mean, Bird Dog Parade is my probably absolute, and it like kicks it off right at the beginning. Um, but that is probably my absolute favorite thing is, is bird dog prey because who doesn't love puppies <laughs> that that's a good saying in all of life who doesn't love puppies and i'm right there with you like my favorite hour of the year is the bird dog parade uh, um brian essling our director of membership asked me like two weeks ago it's like do you have somebody in mind to MC the bird dog parade i'm like brian you're going to have to rip that microphone out of my cold, dead hands. I'm emceeing the bird dog parade. That's my favorite thing. What are you thinking even, you know, contemplating taking that away from me? So that was pretty funny. But uh, Travis, how, you've been to a bunch too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just adding it up. I think this will be nine for me, I believe. Wow. Um, yeah, and you, you mentioned the bird dog parade, Bob, like, you wait all year to wear that blaze orange vest. You know, <laughs> that is, that's, that's like, you have to do that. If somebody takes that from you, I'm going to cry. Well, I also have to work out all year long to stay in that orange vest. Cause it, I think it's, I think it's like a, uh, well, you have the same one, right? Like we have two mm -hmm. identical. It's a, it's like a 42 regular if I'm, or is it a 40 regular? I just know that I'm in trouble. So I've got to I've got to get on the elliptical and bust a um a few extra laps before we get to February. <laughs> Be yeah, you you're looking Friday, a little February buff. Spring. You're looking a little more buff on the in the shoulders than normal. So you don't <laughs> want to tear the, the sleeves. I'm worried about. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm worried about the belly, not the buffness. <laughs> Oh, you're in great shape, Bob. Come on. <laughs> Do you have a singular favorite Pheasant Fest memory, Travis? Oh, goodness. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of them, but I think last year was pretty special. You asked me to MC the Big Bang Banquet, and that's an intimidating monster to be a part of and a real honor. So I think back to that, um, and I did wear my orange vest or my sport jacket at that. Yeah. Um, but I just think that was a really a big honor to be able to uh, go up there with, with everybody and Howard and, you know, just uh, the night. It was huge, humongous gathering, um, intimidating to go up and speak like that in front of, I don't know, 1,500 people, something like that. Um, so that's probably the largest MC banquet that I've ever done. <laughs> and it kind of stands that out to me. That is intimidating. It is. It is intimidating. You crushed it. You did an absolute spectacular job. It was so fun. Wow. Um, Thank we you. have um, 
it, 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 we have Dick Bramer, Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Minnesota Twins, uh, the hometown team, uh, emceeing yeah. this year's banquet. So, you know, kind of the voice of Minnesota was a natural fit to mm -hmm. to run this year's banquet. But um, and he yeah, loves the pheasant hunt too. He oh, does. You, he does. Yeah, we we filmed the TV show with him last season. Kind of sharing his in passion South for, Dakota. Yep, sharing his passion for baseball and pheasant hunting. Um, he definitely, yeah. I'm a I'm a ball guy too, so uh, I grew up, you know, watching Twins or my hometown team, and so I I think that's an excellent choice, Bob, to have Dick do that. All right, let's let's talk this year's Pheasant Fest. We're gonna talk Youth Village, Path to the Uplands, and Pollinator Pathway. Kicking it off, Anna mentioned she's in charge of the Youth Village. Um, and the Youth Village, sponsored by the Sportsman's Guide, um, started, it's been a part of every single National Pheasant Fest and Coil Classic, with the exception of the very first one. It was created in 2005. So it's it's a staple to the show. And as I mentioned in the introduction, it it really is a critical component of getting all those families to have something fun to do at the show. Tell us, tell us about your goals when you build the attractions for each year at the youth village, Anna. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, it's, it seems to be a really good place, you know, to get those families in. Um, I want the youth village um, to have a lot of hands-on and interactive things and to have a lot of diversity of, you know, different outdoor activities that they can take back and learn about or explore more as a family. Um, so just thinking if, you know, maybe these kids haven't gone out fishing before, or maybe they haven't, you know, shot any archery before or shot BB guns or, you know, learned about different habitat things. I want there to be a variety of activities because they're going to all be coming from different backgrounds. Right. Um, so the more um, activities we can have, and just like we each kind of have our own little niche interests, I mean, that's how the families and kids are going to be as well, too. So the, the more things that we can have there and interactive and hands-on, um, I think the better. And there's, I mean, you can spend hours probably in the youth village with all the different things that we have lined up in there this year. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, shooting BBs, BB guns inside the convention center how's that take place yep um, yeah that probably sounds a little scary if you don't you <laughs> set up before <laughs> so uh the staff who have to uh which is me included have to put up this uh thing and take it down it isn't the most fun to try to get back into the packaging right but it's essentially a huge uh blow up little enclosed area um, that you can safely shoot the BB guns. So there's two stations, um, one on each side with kind of a divider in the middle and has a little pulley system. Um, so you can have a target to pulley to the back and you can safely shoot BB guns. We have staff on each side to kind of help you help you through it if you haven't shot BB guns before and, and teach you how to do that and have have a lot of fun. So. Uh, tell us about some of the other attractions. You mentioned fishing and, and uh, decoy carving. Mm -hmm. um, what all can people do with their family when they come into that youth village? 
Yep, um, those are a few. So the decor carving, you get to carve your own decoy and paint it. Um, so you can get your hands a little bit, a little bit messy. We have we have things to wash your hands off and uh, some aprons and stuff like that too. So you're not going to get paint all over yourself. But um, so that's a really fun. And they're event. waterfall decoys. Yep. 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 Yes. Yeah, I should waterfowl decoys. Um, we um, have some casting activities. So if you haven't been fishing before, as much as you can do inside, you can practice some casting um, with some fish that we have there that you can, some fake plastic fish that you can <laughs> cast um, and do it that way. So there's no hooks or anything like that. So kids of all ages can have fun um, with that activity. I mean, there's, we have, of course, some pollinator activities. Um, we have normally a seed um, butterfly that kids can make. So there's always some pollinator influences in there that they can put together and coloring and um, we're trying to line it up right now. Hopefully have some face painting and maybe some uh, pheasant and Bob White tattoos going on. So there's a lot of lot of fun activities. You'll be able to tell when kids leave the youth village area. That's what that's what I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a spoiler alert for for frequent podcast listeners, um, there Howard Vincent, our retiring president and CEO, maybe maybe unveiling a pheasant in a quail tattoo. Real ones. Whoa! At, at Whoa. there, he, I think there may be an unveil slated for the Saturday night banquet, but there was a bet made, and and Howard lost, so he's required to get one tattoo, and he's he's talking two, um, and he's talking different parts of his body. <laughs> so uh, we'll, he's going to come out we'll, like we'll a, let... like a WWE wrestler and rip his shirt off and show us some cats or what? <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, but I know he's trying to get it done. So it doesn't look all red and agitated, <laughs> but uh, uh, his two boys are trying to help him figure out <laughs> what's, what's the right artwork, but there's your little, uh, Easter egg in this podcast for something to, <laughs> to look forward to at Pheasant Fest. Uh, it's, it's probably not new village material. It's on the but... air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it, well, it's switch back to youth village because <laughs> I've really taken us out of left here. Um, raptors have always been a big part mm. of the youth village. Is that going to be part of it this year, Anna? Yes. Um, and so We'll have an area um, to where they can see raptors. I'm not sure what they're all going to bring in, but in the past we've had like owls and hawks, um, but they have quite a few volunteers coming in um, to have raptors because they can only have them out for so long um, and things like that. But we have quite a few volunteers with them coming in with raptors. So we'll have raptors there for most of the time the show floor is open, which is, I mean, it is so cool. I personally really love owls and just seeing these birds that mm. close up. Um, I mean, they are crazy, like just awesome animals um, to see that close. Yeah. Right. I, I, uh, I did on this most recent trip into Arizona, I had two owls on a branch together, the gray horn owls. I've never mm -hmm. seen two, like just sit watching me together. They're just watching me and a bird dog 
ran behind them and they both went the opposite ways with their heads. Like one went this way, one went that way, one went to the left, one went to the right. And they did the 360 to look at the dog. And then they were like, spun back and looked at me, spun and looked at the dog. And then they flew away. And they're like, we're surrounded. I was like, it's so cool to see their head spin like that. I, it just, gosh, it was, a, again, you just never know what you're going to see out there. And, you know, when you're bird hunting and, um, you know, just seeing two owls on a tree branch together was just mind blowing. So uh anything we missed on the youth village um we have a lot so i'm trying to think what i all mentioned um that's kind of the the highlights there and we're still i'm sure we're gonna have lots more activities that's gonna be in there so yeah. there's, there's gonna be a lot to do um kids can also burn off some energy which is Never a bad thing. <laughs> is that something you're in tune do, with do you also provide mom? daycare services over there Anna? nope nope uh parental supervision is always appreciated we do have a uh, we do have staff for all of the active like the bb gun range and things like that uh we always have staff there just in case um but no daycare services. Maybe that's something we need to uh, to add on. I'm sure. I mean, what would some parents would probably pay pretty good high dollar for uh, daycare services at Youth Village area? <laughs> well, all right. So we'll we'll transition to Travis, who is parent of multiple youngsters, um, as we talk about our path to the upland stage and. Our quarterback, the you know the parallel to Anna, um, putting the path to the Upland stage together is Colby Kerber. You've heard Colby on this podcast before. He's our hunting heritage program manager, um, and Travis was his handpicked selection to represent Path to the Uplands uh, on this episode. But Colby wrote in his blog. Um, this is the third installment of the Path to the Upland Stage, and it's uh, sponsored by Alps Outdoors, who's a na terrific national sponsor of the organization. And Colby was adamant about bringing a variety of well-respected storytellers to the Path to the Upland Stage this year to help attendees find their own unique pathway into upland habitat and upland bird hunting. That lineup includes folks like Ben Bredigan of Onyx, Dave Miller of CZ, Eric Thompson from Hardwired Outdoors, Sam Soholt of Public Lands Tees, also another person that, uh, that's been on this podcast, Tina Dockin of Dockin's Oak Ridge Kennels and Frankie USA, also a podcast alum. Um, and then obviously our featured guest, Travis Frank, host of The Flush. Um, Let's start, Travis, with, you know, we we often talk about your hunting adventures, and I don't know that every, you know, if they follow you on Instagram, you do a great job of showing your whole family in their enjoyment in the outdoors. But tell us a little bit about who Travis Frank is as the husband and as a father. Like, who, you know, what's, what's your family? Um, how old's your family? How long you been a dad? That, those sort of things. 
Yeah, <clears throat> they're my my real pride and joy. I I could go on for days and days about them. I'm very blessed. I have a beautiful wife. Her name is Sarah. We have four children. My oldest are boys. They're eight and seven. I have a five-year-old daughter and a soon-to-be one-year-old daughter. Um, in about a week, she's going to turn one. And we're very busy, um, as all parents are. Uh, however, the outdoors is just a huge priority for us, the outdoor lifestyle. And yeah, it's just, it's an honor to obviously be invited on the show to talk about it. It's an honor to be invited to come talk on the stage about it. Um, Colby asked me to do this last year to talk about raising a family in the outdoors. And I, I could have sat on stage for what felt like hours talking about that as well, because it is so important in my life. It's become such a huge part of my life. Um, and I've learned a lot too. So uh, I would Maybe I didn't scare people away uh, because Colby invited <laughs> me back again this this year. Um, personally, when I'm not on the road filming and for work, I'm usually going to be out hunting, and I'm usually doing that with my kids. Um, cool. You know, I was on a podcast maybe a year ago, and somebody mentioned something about um, you know missing shots on the show, and um, you know we just got to talking, and it really it it's kind of stuck with me, but at that moment that, you know, I would rather be known as a better father than as a better shot. You know, I don't mm -hmm. spend as much time at the shooting range as I probably would like to, or could if I wasn't doing stuff with, with the family. So um, that's how I feel about it. I invest as much time in, in them, um, but I've learned so much by bringing them with, and including them in my hunting and fishing life, um, all the way down to the food aspect of it. They're a part of the entire experience start to finish. And it started really early on. Um, my eight-year-old has harvested turkeys the last couple of years. Um, he shot a grouse this year. He shot doves, geese, ducks. He's still waiting on that rabbit and squirrel, though they keep getting away from him. <laughs> But um, he's right there, and I have nephews, and we do dads and kids weekends up at uh, deer and grouse camp, and it's become some of my favorite moments that I've ever had, ever in my entire life hunting uh, with those kids, and I'm seeing the payoffs of it. So it's so near and dear to my heart. Uh, I could talk, as as you can tell, I could talk forever about it. Um, but I'm honestly, Bob, I'm a little torn on what I want to talk about because I've I've got I've got to figure out what I'm going to talk about on stage. I don't want to give everything away right now so people don't come. But I'm at this I'm at this point in in the the whole outdoor family lifestyle, and I've I've been talking with other dads because this topic comes up so often about how to introduce your kid how to get them involved what works and what doesn't work um jason mitchell who is very well known in north dakota in the midwest he has hunting and tv or hunting and fishing shows um we were talking a couple weeks ago about this and it really hit home because he said his son doesn't like to fish 
and it just he just is like heartbroken by it. He'll come mm-hmm. with, but he just doesn't have this passion for it. And Jason has like tried everything to get his son in the best situ- situations always for success. He drops a line down, he catches a fish. Um, you know, he's had all these great fishing experiences, and yet it it isn't what he wants to do. His son likes to trap. Jason doesn't know much about trapping. His son, therefore, had to figure it out on his own. And so we talked through this about how you learn things after the fact, right? As a parent, what you would have done, what you wish you would have done differently um, by creating the most perfect scenarios every time he took his son fishing, his son didn't experience the challenges. Therefore, he didn't have to figure it out on his own. He didn't have to overcome much of anything. He just got to see success, and that's not reality. you know. So mm. I was talking with another friend about this, taking kids out into the deer blind, these big, beautiful blinds with a heater in it, sitting over a food plot, and... They're probably an, there's probably an iPad in that deer stand too. There's no struggle. There's no suffering. Mm-hmm. You're, you're completely entertained. And all of a sudden you look up and there's a deer and you decide, is that the one I want to pull the trigger on? Is that really what's going to get that kid hooked on hunting? Mm-hmm. You know, so some of these thoughts are really kind of going back and forth into my mind. You know, what, what, one kid might need isn't going to work for the next necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so I'm seeing it with my four kids and they've been coming with hunting since they were three. Sometimes it's short trips. I've learned how to keep it fun. uh, Keep it something, you know, leave on a high note, leave early Mm -hmm. if you have to, Um, you know, there's just, there's a lot that goes into that experience for a young child and um, I think as a, a mentor, as a parent, as an uncle, you know, I bring my nephew out hunting with us too and nieces. And I mean, like, it's a case-by-case situation. Um, and so as I prepare to, to talk about this on the stage, I, there's a lot in my mind, as you can tell, um, as to which way I really want to go with it. But the bottom line is that I've talked to so many parents you know and they talk about oh I, your kid did this or he was out doing that and then they say yeah I, I think i might bring my kids with soon i think he might be ready and i go oh really cool how old is he, your daughter or something and they're like oh he's uh 12 or 13 and i'm like why did you wait that long mm-hmm. you know you didn't wait till they were 12 or 13 to to play catch in the yard or to kick the ball around you know, there's so much that can be learned by kids by coming with, you know, by my son, you know, the grass in the pheasant field is pretty tall, but they've been out there since they were four years old in their little tiny legs. You know, they've been in the grouse woods since they were four and five years old, um, you know, and now in the duck blind and the goose blind, the deer saying like all of the hunting scenarios they've experienced early on. And I think it's so valuable. To bring them with mm. i just i've seen it firsthand and i just i i don't scold parents that tell me that but i just tell them bring them out there don't wait for the perfect scenario do not make it about the success of getting the bird it doesn't have to be the field that has a thousand pheasants in it for them to come with take them on public land that you think you're going to fail on like 
that should be part of the overall experience and never wait. Don't say next mm -hmm. time. Do not say <clears throat> next time. Is really well said and powerful. It, you know, what probably, well, I was thinking as you were talking or before you got to this point that every youngster is going to be different, right? And treat them differently. They're just like we all are as individuals. And you, and you hit that point. And then you mentioned something that really grabbed my attention and made me think. And that's the, the role of aunts and uncles and grandpas. And, you know, I've talked about my, my wife and I, Meredith, Meredith and I, we never were able to have mm -hmm. kids. We wanted kids, you know, we, wanted them badly but just didn't work out and that happens to a lot of families but i am an uncle you know and my brother's got kids and little nicholas i got to take him my my nephew and my niece noelle out fishing and out hunting and you know generally it was going to rhineland northern wisconsin to go grouse hunting or ice fishing. And then as he got a little older, talking to my brother, I want to go to Minnesota and go pheasant hunting with Uncle Bob. That's a pretty damn cool feeling. Yeah. Right? And to take take Nicholas as Uncle Bob out on a pheasant hunt and to see him get his first rooster. And now he's off at college, Stevens Point, studying wildlife biology. And he lives in northern Wisconsin. He's wearing a K-Fan hat, <laughs> which is the t radio station that I do stuff with in the Twin City. He can't get K-Fan unless he's listening on the internet. But it's like you are leaving an indelible mark on next generation, whether they're your kids or your nieces and nephews or your grandchildren. And so while the obvious message there is for dads and moms there's a lot of aunts and uncles and grandparents that play maybe a bigger role than you expect until you see it on the on the gram mm -hmm. <laughs> or you hear about it from your brother or your sister so that that uh yeah i've got tears in my eyes thinking about that and, and it's pretty powerful and it does start with that connection you have in the outdoors, sharing those experiences in nature and with dogs and getting them, you know, pulled away from Minecraft for a couple hours. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, there's there's so many distractions, you know, and um, I, here's another example, you know, uh, I... I was talking to a few dads and one of them was out hunting with his daughter and another one was at, I want to say it was uh, soccer what, with the, one of his kids. And he said, yeah, I can't, can't, or he said, wish I could be out there hunting too. And then the one in the field said, well, you can, you, you've always got an open invite out here. And then he replied, priorities that's what he said with the picture of the of the kids out on the ball field and to me i just stared at that for a moment and almost was just upset about it because i what is the priority 
You know, mm-hmm. why does a Saturday morning soccer practice take priority over you bringing a kid out in the field hunting with you? You know, maybe the priorities are in the wrong spot. You know, mm-hmm. that the kids' priorities could be yours if they only knew about that opportunity. They think that their priorities are on the soccer field, but they've got a whole life ahead of them, and the outdoor world is there for them at six years of age, at 16, at 36, at 66, at 96, you know? And I don't know that that kid is going to be playing soccer professionally any, you know, at, during any of those years. So if your priority isn't to get them out there, they'll never know that that could be their priority. Mm-hmm. So it yeah, just, it, it just it, sits with me. And I, I, I see that stuff so often and I'm like, why, why do sports have to be the number one thing? And, mm-hmm. you know, I just don't get it. Like it's part of it. It's a well-rounded person can experience a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, no secret. I love sports too. You love yeah. sports. You love play it. sports. It, yeah. teaches, it teaches you teamwork and camaraderie in winning and losing and struggle. The outdoors does yeah. that too. It's just not as obvious. And mm-hmm. it may be not as obvious in 2023 as it was in 1983 or 1973. It's still there. And it's, I, you know, I'd argue it's more impactful um, that, that what you can learn about yourself, what you can learn about nature and, you know, just becoming a, an adult by spending time in the outdoors. It, leave soccer in the dust <laughs> right i'm not putting any sports down because i, I like i said oh, I love them all soccer too. down yeah okay <laughs> and when we hang when we hang up today i've got a well-groomed ice sheet on our neighborhood pond and there's several families with kids coming over for a pickup game of ice hockey and uh it helps us get through the winters but i love sports i love being outside i love the fresh air i love everything about being out there. I just, I love getting people into the outdoor world too. Mm-hmm. Right on. Uh, all right. Let me give a shout out to our national partner for both Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and a sponsor of On the Wing podcast. That partner is OnX. OnX has countless tools to make you a safer and more successful bird hunter. It's trusted by millions of hunters across the country, including me. I use Onyx all the time, whether I'm bird hunting, dog training, or just trying not to get lost when I'm cross-country skiing. <laughs> uh, get a Download a, a risk-free seven-day trial at onyxhunt.com and use the code pheasants or quail during the checkout process for a 20% off discount on your membership at onyxhunt.com. And you'll be glad to know that a portion of Onyx's sales, every time you use the code pheasants or quail, um, creates a donation back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's wildlife habitat mission, leading to better habitat, more wild birds, and creating more public lands for all of us to enjoy by ourselves, with our friends, or with our family. So thank you very much 
to Onyx. All right, round in third. Yes, Travis, raising your hand. Uh, yes, I would also like to say that they just launched Apple CarPlay. If you've not used it, Bob, it is sweet. I saw that video. Yeah, I know. You, ben and I, he's like, Ben's like, hey, I need you to come with me real quick. And he showed me before it went out. And I was like, oh, this is cool. So, yeah, all of your layers, everything that you would look at on your phone transfers when you plug it into your vehicle right on your dash. So if you have a vehicle that, you know, has navigation, um, obviously, most hunters, if they're being honest, they pick up their phone while driving to look at that app to say, who owns that? What kind of land is it? Mm. Well, now all of that information is right there. Just like your normal maps you might be using when you're navigating, uh, it's right there. And you can see all your waypoints. You can see the land boundaries, the names of the owners of everything. Is that a Weha or a plot or whatever it might be, WPAW? You know, it doesn't matter what state. It's there. It's pretty cool. It, you know, and I think about... I think about fishing, this can be a kind of a weird winding road, but you think about fishing and things that have absolutely been game changers for fishing. And it's like, well, clearly sonar, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, ice fishing, you know, you don't, I remember growing up and you dry, drop a carton of eggshells down the hole. So it would create a white background so you could see if fish were moving in and out. You're, you're both probably too young. You're to such a youper, Bob. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, but now you know you drop your your Lawrence Hummingbird Garmin, you know your your flasher down, and you're playing video games, catching colors, right? Mm-hmm. Two things have absolutely changed hunting in my mind from a technology perspective. One is the uh, the GPS collar for the bird dog. You know, you think about the old days of you know your dog would be out running with a bell and then the bell goes silent it's like where you know especially if you have pointers right like i have no idea where my dog is probably a point somewhere now that that gps is in your hand that's an absolute game changer whether it's the sport dog you know tech 2.0 um or the garmin just terrific units that change the way we hunt and then the other one is onyx I mean, you know, the days of, you know, rolling around with 16 different maps in the back of the truck. You know, the Bible. Oh, I just I crossed have mine. Oh, I have them too. Yeah. But I haven't looked at them in three years. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I use everything as pins on, on Onyx. It's just, it's, it's made it so much more approachable. Um, you know, we talk about getting more people in the outdoors that tool in your hands and then the simple ability to share a pin with a friend, um, you know, and be able to like, well, here's how you hunt this property. Here's where you go. Here's the boundary. It takes that intimidation. Like people don't want to cross private land boundaries. They, they don't want to break the law. And Onyx has made that so much easier for you know, recruiting new people and making it easier to approach. It's just a wonderful tool. I'm going to have to upgrade uh, my vehicle now so I can use their new feature. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of comments on the video that we posted. They're like, well, crap, now I need a new car. Now I need a new car. <laughs> I'll just add that to my uh, uh, argument list of, you know, pros when I make the argument case to my husband on why I need that, that new vehicle. <laughs> was that, was that video on the flush or was it on your personal? I can't remember. 
Uh, I want to say the Flush and Onyx. They did one of those collaboration things. Okay. Yeah, I didn't actually know where it was going. Ben filmed it, and then uh, from there it just went like social media does sometimes. All of a sudden I see myself, and I'm like, how did that get there? You know, that's the scary yeah. thing about having a camera everywhere you go. I knew this one was going to be posted somewhere online. I just didn't know where or how or who, but yeah, that yeah. was, that was Ben all the way on that. Ben Bredigan again from Onyx. He's, he's such a diehard bird hunter. He's in Arizona as we speak right now, but um, he's such a diehard bird hunter that he's always trying to like figure out the next best thing for, um, for the bird hunting uh, applications in it. I mean, there's big game. There's all kinds of other stuff too, but I've got a new one for him when he gets back that I'm, I'm hoping that they're going to be able to add next to their new feature list. Wait till you hear about this one. Oh, leaving that. Yeah. Tease I'm going to cliffhang you. Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. And it remind me, did you go to college with Ben? I'm trying. I know there's a connection there, right? Or yeah. We live like, same- yeah, we live like a quarter mile apart. Uh, we went to school together. I am much older and way more mature than he is, though. So <laughs> I have so much more knowledge on him. <laughs> uh, he worked on at the marina, and I was a fishing guide down there. That's and right. Yeah, yeah. So, and yeah, then he went down south and worked with Primos. And, um, and then he came back once he started working with Onyx. And now he's got, uh, he's married. He's a dad now. And, yep. Yeah, He's uh he's living the life back here at home. Cool. And you'll be sharing the path to the upland stage with him because he'll he's yeah. one of those names I mentioned. He'll be on the stage too. Yep. Wealth of knowledge. Um, Ask him questions, people. Ask him questions. Yeah, no doubt. If you want to follow somebody with all sorts of different bird dog content, uh, uh, go to Instagram mm-hmm. and follow Ben Brennigan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good. All right. Pollinator pathway. The other component of the pheasant fest and quail classic that anna is in charge of um for folks you know that don't know you they can easily tell how passionate you are already about pollinators because you've talked about them as part of the youth village but the pollinator pathway a little bit new branding used to be the pollinator pavilion same concept tell us a little bit about what folks can find on the show floor under the banner of pollinator pathway. Yeah. Pollinator pathway. Um, that area right there is going to have some of our partners, um, that work with us and help us complete that mission that impacts pollinators day to day. Um, so we'll have a bunch of vendors there, um, that are our partners kind of sharing their story on what they're doing. Um, we of course have a booth, um, that is going to help tell our story um, on what we do as Pheasants Forever, which if you've listened to some of our Pollinator Week podcasts, you kind of have some of those, some of those clips. Um, and then there's going to be a bunch of activities. Um, and just if you don't know what a pollinator is, if you haven't listened to those podcasts, um, that's a perfect place to go. Um, there's a lot of expertise in that little pollinator pathway area. Uh, Monarch Joint Venture is one. Um, they're going to have a bunch of hands-on activities for the whole family to do um, and for you just to learn about pollinators and how they impact the uplands and uh, what you can do as well, too. Um, and I even wrote down, I mean, we have this little area kind of focused on on pollinators, but um, 
looking at the whole show floor, there's even more little areas that you're going to get, you know, some pollinator mm -hmm. stuff as well too. So if you're, um, want to create habitat yourself and you're a landowner, right? If you're going over to that habitat help desk, they're going to be able to talk to you about pollinators. Um, so you're going to get some there. We have pollinator focused stuff over at the youth village as well too. So um, definitely stop by the pollinator pathway area. And then as you work your way around that show floor, you're going to see pollinators keep, keep popping back up. And I think that just goes to show um, how much that we do with pollinators um, and how much we think that how important it is for us to be working with that as well too. It, it is. Um, it's one of those like surprisingly interesting things. Like if somebody's listening it's like pollinators at Pheasant Fest, you know, but the reality is, you know, if you have backyard that you want to turn into a pollinator garden, or if you have 40 acres that you want a better brood habitat to increase nesting success and adult pheasant recruitment, pollinator habitat is the key for you to do that. And that's all like National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. It, it's legitimately fact for me to say it's the biggest pollinator event you can attend in the country. That's that's fact. It's not preposterous at all. It, 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 it's a big deal, right? It's like, where else would you talk about pollinating? You know, there's no show in the country that you could buy seed, learn how to plant it, um, learn about the different interactions with bees and butterflies and birds than at National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. And when, it's one of the things like when people hear and I do radio interviews all the time. I just did one with a, a friend in Omaha this morning, uh, Crash Davis out of Omaha. Um, they will tell me about Pheasant Fest and Quail Classing. Like it, it at, at center of the bullseye, blaze orange, shotguns. You know, it's it, it's a bird hunting show. It's what you expect at the start, but then. It's like it's the second biggest dog show in the country next to Westminster's dog show. There's like 40 different breeds of dogs. There's dog breed clubs. There's a dog seminar stage every hour on the hour. It's the biggest non-farm show that's a farm show in the country. Right? John Deere tractors, True Axe and Great Plains Seed Drill, seed companies, uh, lane owner help desk, U.S. Department of Agriculture. You want to improve your land for habitat. They and you own you own property yourself. It's a farm show. It's a craft show, like woodworking, painting, pheasant feather bow ties. Uh, you know, just it's an artisan show. Um, there's because so much of how the organization is made money for habitat over you know, like think about Terry Redland. You know, over the forty years, artists. That's created countless millions of dollars that have gone into create better habitat for the birds. And it's that connection with art. It's a connection with food. Like, you know, that uh, Travis mentioned that whole process from habitat to training a dog to being, a, you know, having that cool vest to being a better shot with that new brand new shotgun and shooting federal premium ammunition to, you know, having that wonderful meal of scaled quail with a little side of prickly pear 
sauce on, on the side, you know? Pheasant Fest encompasses that whole um, lifestyle and experience of being involved in the outdoors. And pollinators, while some people be like, that's a head scratcher. It's really not. It all fits together, doesn't it? It does. It's, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, like birds are only made once a year, right? They're only nesting mm. once a year. We can only grow those numbers that one time. Um, and so that mm -hmm. habitat that they're nesting in, that those, you know, that they're raising their broods in is crucial. And that habitat's mm -hmm. pollinator habitat. And it's, um, it, that's, it seems so far-fetched until you explain it like that. And it's integrated in everything we do um, when you start thinking yeah. about it, which makes me excited. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it does. It, again, I, I beat this drum like every third episode. It is comes back to the web of life. Like we all learned as third graders, like we all want to teach our nieces and nephews, like everything is interconnected and in how we treat the land, how we treat wildlife affects the food we eat, the water we drink, the air we breathe and the life that we enjoy. And, you know, pheasant is like, you learn in college Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You remember this? <laughs> Food, water, air, shelter. Pheasant Fest, Quail Classic sort of is embodiment of all those things that we're doing on the planet to make it a healthy, fun place to live. So um, I know it sounds hyperbole, but... It is a really, really fun event in hell. We kick it off with a bird dog parade. So how can you go wrong? <laughs> All right. We rounded wouldn't, you, wouldn't, wouldn't you say technically you kick it off with the film fest? We well, that's a good that's a good point because we had just announced Thursday night uh, at the poorhouse in Minneapolis, limited number of tickets on sale. We have the film fest, which has five films. Um, as you mentioned, Travis, uh, you have a trip to Alaska uh, to hunt ptarmigan, and that is going to be one of those five featured films. You're working on that right now, aren't you? I have seen the finished product, my friend. Oh, you have? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, it, that sounds pretty epic. Well, I guess you're going to have to come to the film fest to find out. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a ptarmigan hunt from the flush. We've got a woodcock hunt from Project Dublin. I think it's a Capricali hunt from Project Dublin that we're doing um, as Pheasants Forever um, searching for Montezuma, which is uh, what Mern's quail are called in New Mexico. So Mern, they're known as Mern's quail in Arizona. They're called Montezuma quail in New Mexico. So we have a film that our own very own video production specialist, Aaron Blackschmidt is creating uh, called searching for Montezuma um, about a hunt with a volunteer Ray Trejo in New Mexico. And then uh, a really special film that Matt Addington is creating um, about our buddy Ken Yang uh, who you've done an episode of the flush probably four years ago, three years ago, Travis, Some, maybe even five. I don't know. Maybe four. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's starting to, <laughs> they're all blending together at this point. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a great it, guy. A great guy. And, uh, last week's 
So as this episode airs, King, we featured King in uh, last week's episode of On the Wing Podcast. And um, that was about our final hunt of the year. And we teased um, Kang will be on our public land stage throughout uh, the Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. And as as you just mentioned, it'll be featured in uh, one of our films at the Film Fest. And limited number of tickets uh, were halfway sold out and they only been on sale for about a week. Um, you can find those tickets at pheasantfest.org. Um, all of the attractions, all the content, list of exhibitors, everything is now live at pheasantfest.org. Um, tickets are selling out for the special evening events. Friday night uh, party is sold out. Saturday night banquet is sold out. But the Film Fest is still available, and our Women on the Wing brunch on Sunday is still available. And, of course, um, daily admission, all available. Tickets are all available. Those will not sell out. Um, you can buy those at pheasantfest.org. Um, all right. Round and third, heading for home, closing thoughts. We'll start with Travis um, as we head into Pheasant Fest, what, what do you want to leave people with? What do you want to put a put a bow on this episode for me, Travis? Mm, wow. Well, there's just a lot of passion, passionate people that care a lot about the same thing that are going to be gathering. If you've never come, I think it is worth your time to do that. Um, I am excited for it. I look forward to it all the t- all year long. I mean, I'm going through withdrawals that I'm not able to hunt as we speak right now. So this is the next best thing to gather, <clears throat> to tell stories, to laugh a lot. There's a lot to learn there as well. Um, for me, if I wasn't working there and having commitments in different places, I would belly up to the uh, dog training stage mm-hmm. and probably the food stage because there's you can never stop learning about those two things you know i mean like i obviously don't want to tell people to not come to my area <laughs> <laughs> you know, the path to the upland stage but there's so much that mm. there's so many great speakers and and seminars so really all the stages depending on what interests you but uh, we'll be there with the flush we'll have a space as well um, and I, I love to meet everybody and, and just talk hunting. I usually lose my voice by midday ish <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> and, you know, a, a note, I've got a couple of really positive comments, uh, from past mentions of this on episodes. We are efforting to have Pheasant Fest be in March as opposed to February going forward which uh, allows all those Southern quail states to attend with the seasons being over. Uh, So we know that the season's going on still this year for some places. Uh, Hope you still come up to Pheasant Fest, but just know um, going forward, we're trying to make more March dates happen as we uh, book book additional uh, sites down the road. Um, Anna, your closing thoughts for us. Um, I'll play off a little bit of kind of our conversation before with um, 
that, I mean, I grew up in the outdoors. I was, I was that kid that was definitely raised in the outdoors by my dad. And, um, and it's like, I've done this my whole life, but there's still so much more to learn. Um, and there's, I mean, I've never been to Arizona and, and went quail hunting down there. That sounds awesome. Right. And there's all these like really awesome niche things that you can do in the outdoors. I mean, year round. Um, and it mm. keeps me outside. It, it keeps you active. It's, um, I thoroughly enjoy it. It's, it's our culture that, you know, we've definitely built within our family and, um, Pheasant Fest is a, a great way, um, to learn about all these new opportunities that you can kind of incorporate within your family and, um, bring them there. There's, there's lots to learn and lots to do. Yeah. Uh, really well said, and I'll, I'll echo what both you and, and Anna, or what, what Travis and Anna both said. It's, it's just a really fun event. If I didn't have to work it, um, I would absolutely attend, uh, you know, highlight for me, for sure. It, it, I love the bird dog parade, um, you know, being there for the start of the show. Um, you know, the, I love saturday about one o'clock when the the aisles are absolutely jam-packed and the positivity and the energy of the upland world collides and there's a sense of community and fun that it just echoes reverberates in my body for the rest of the year just knowing how many people enjoy it and then you know Sundays when you can, it tends to be a little bit smaller crowd and you can wheel and deal with some of those vendors and, you know, check things out. And, uh, I get a little free time to, I think I bought 13 different vests last year <laughs> on, on Sunday, but, but like, how, what are you going to use all of these? We don't even have a place to hang. You can never have too many, honey. You can never have yeah. too many. Backups yeah. for the backups. Yes. <laughs> right, right. But it is such a fun place to check out all the new gear and see lots of old friends and meet lots of new friends. So, and you know, kick it off with the film fest and just keep rolling after that. You don't need to sleep; you just need to get there. Um, it's an absolutely fun time. Um, thank you both so much. I know I went way, way over what I told you we were going to talk for this episode, but. Uh, I really enjoy the conversation with both of you and it's so meaningful um, what you're doing to raise kids in the outdoors and then also help set up our event to make it, you know, back in the day, sports shows were just dudes walking around with drinking beer. And that's not what Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic is all about. It's, it's getting everybody engaged in bird dogs and conservation and, being part of that community. So get on that show floor one o'clock Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be crowded, but damn, they're good people. And it's a lot of fun. So thank you all for listening. I'm Bob St. Pierre. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to remind you always follow the dog right to Pheasant Fest. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening, folks. Pheasants Forever's National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic is coming to the Minneapolis Convention Center on February 17th through the 19th. Join us for puppy and dog training seminars, a youth village for kids, a public lands pavilion, pollinator and wildlife habitat, hunting gear, and more than 400 
unique exhibitors. It's National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic the weekend of February 17th. Presented by Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, and Federal Ammunition. For more information, log on to pheasantfest.org.